I know shit's bad right now with all the fascism bullshit and the COVID-19 and we're running out of ass wipe and burrito coverings, but I got a solution. That's what you said last time, dipshit. Pennsylvania, what's up? No, I understand everybody's shit's emotional right now due to the quarantine and the erosion of our civil liberties, but I've got a three-point plan that's going to fix everything. Break it down, Chumzilla. Number one, vote. Number two, wear a mask. And number three, be excellent to each other. Welcome to the 75th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by AOL, Time Warner, Taco Bell, U.S. Government Long Distance. Tonight, we'll be talking about idiocracy. Hops and Box Office Flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, folks, and thank you for joining us for the 75th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by RevengeOfTheFans.com and brought to you by Carl's Jr. This is the Intergoogle's premier podcast dedicated to discussing poorly received and or financially unsuccessful films. This episode, we'll be discussing a movie which Fox shelved for over a year and all but abandoned upon its very limited release. I am, of course, talking about Mike Judge's follow-up to Office Space, 2006, Idiocracy. Joining me on tonight's pod, as always, are the Thunderous Wizard, fresh off his guest appearance on the latest episode of Ow My Balls. I'm what the plants crave. He's got electrolytes. And taking a break from his duties as the CFO of Brondo is none other than Captain Cash. Go away, Baton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, good times. All right. No, 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 uh, not really. Let's uh, let's talk about this movie. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, yeah, totally. Uh, but I'm going to finish up Baton here real quick, though. Because, <laughs> I mean, I got the masturbation network on, so... Just take care of some light work real quick here. Anyway, folks, you can find me, Chumpzilla, on Twitter at Chumpzilla8, brought to you by Carl's Jr. Gentlemen, where can the listener find you and the pod on the socials? They can find me at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of the social media. You can find the pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hops and B-O Flops. And over to the Thunderous Wizard. You can find me at WriterTLK on Twitter on twitter that's spelled t-w-e-t-i-e-r according to this movie's cognitive functions listen to this dude knowing how to spell that seems pretty hoity-toity in a feat doesn't it see i think there's a running theme of things and companies devolving into adult themed industries so i think twitter would have devolved into twatter but or, or titter Titter. Titter? Yeah. yeah probably yeah, titter. Probably titter. Yep. Anyway. That seems more right. But yeah. Face so boobs. We've obviously... Face boobs. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't laugh at our own joke, but I do like it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, you know, we've introduced the movie here. We're going to be talking about idiocracy, and that brings us to beer. For tonight's pod, I have selected Hop Stupid from California's Lagunitas Brewing Company. Hop Stupid is a West Coast double IPA. It's double hopped thanks to the extra addition of some hop extract. 
And at an 8.0 ABV, a couple of these will definitely knock a few points off the old IQ. Cheers. Cheers. And uh, just to give the beer a little bit of a review here, it does live up to its name. It's very hoppy and aromatic. That's good. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's very drinkable. It pours clear uh, with a golden yellow color and a decent head. And it's got your standard, you know, West Coast strong citrusy IPA notes uh, and pine notes. But you also get a little bit of like a milder malt uh, uh, taste to it as well. Yeah, all I can see all, that. Yeah, it's it's a little sweet. It's not completely bitter, but yeah, it's very drinkable. And uh, I'll give Hop Stupid a two bad movie rating. What do you gentlemen say? Yeah, two. I mean, at eight percent, this go this is pretty easy to drink. I'm, I'm thinking if I had, if you let me drink as much of these as I wanted to, I'd probably go through about a movie and a half before I passed out. But just for drinkability, I'd give it a two and a half. I like this a lot. Yeah, it's it'll nice sneak hop. up on you. It's definitely hoppy, but it's not like blowing my face off with hops. You said head, chumpzilla. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is good. Uh, I'd say two to two and a half. But if I'm being realistic, then because of the one or because of the eight percent, it's closer to one point five of what I would get yeah. through. I agree. It can be dangerous, but uh, yep. All in all, though, very drinkable beer. Cheers. And thanks to the guys at Lagunitas for giving us an excellent beverage for the evening. So let's go on to the tale of the tape. The commercial failure of Idiocracy is a classic tale of Hollywood cliches. Mike Judge was contractually obligated to write a second script for Fox after Office Space. And thereby, Fox was contractually obligated to release the film in theaters. Brought to you by Carl's Jr. I can't help but notice a running theme whenever these movies don't do well. A lot of it seems to be due to the fact that everyone was contractually obligated to be there. Yeah, and Mike Judge, I did watch some interviews that he did. Sadly, the best one I found was with Alex Jones, oddly enough. They're, uh, both, they're both in Austin. It's weird. Okay. Uh, but uh, quick aside, I get the impression that Mike Judge tried to write a movie he didn't think Fox would greenlight. Like he kind of wanted to push it a little bit, and when they said fine, he was like, "Really? Okay." So, I can kind of see that. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not like the space. I'm not like trying to give this away. It's just it's not anywhere near as good or as quotable as Office Space. I mean, it, it's fun, it, but yeah, it, it's a higher concept, but it's not as well executed as Office Space. They're yeah. certainly both relatable films. Office Space nails that. Uh, what it's going for as in working in the succubus of an office and this as relevant as it seems just it doesn't nail the concept quite the same way although it is funny i think at times it's just not particularly great yeah it's not as funny as office space but it aims for higher concepts of some of the satire i think is more biting but the humor is not as good. The movie was filmed primarily in 2004 with some reshoots taking place in 2005 after some poorly received uh, test screenings. Fox set on the finished film for over a year and was worried that the film's gratuitous lampooning of major corporate sponsors could hurt their TV advertising revenues. You know how so I know the film is going to be a success when the studio leaves it on a shelf for a couple of years. How's that working out for New Mutants? Yeah, this was strictly for commercial reasons, too. It wasn't like they didn't like the movie. They were just like, ooh, this might hurt our TV money. We're a little nervous about it. <laughs> the movie's not bad, but it might hurt us. 
Anyway. Yeah. So the studio's solution to their apprehension was to give Idiocracy a marketing budget of zero dollars and release it in just 135 theaters worldwide in the uh, September of 2006. When you think about it, I feel like that movie's initial reach was basically the same as this podcast. So, you know what? In like five to six years, this might be culturally relevant. I read some contemporary like reviews or accounts of the release of this movie. And a lot of people saw this in empty theaters. <laughs> it was just like one guy. Um, Phoenix all over again for me. Yeah. And Fox uh, had a plan to, you know, basically just get this into theaters, satisfy their contractual obligations, and then get it released on DVD as fast as possible. Like ASAP. So idiocracy managed a worldwide box office total of just 495,303 American dollars with all but 51,000 and change of that coming from the US. And that was against a budget of upwards of $4 million. Now, here's the silver lining. Much like Office Space though, Idiocracy found a cult following upon home release and it more than doubled its budget with DV rentals slash sales that totaled an excess of $9 million. So it over doubled its budget once it hit home release. So, all right, Fox got their money back. Uh, so and good for them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Way to go, suits. Because I was real worried about the the guys at Fox, you know, yes. their families. I mean, technically now it's Disney, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. So Mike Judge is on the record saying he did zero press for this movie, and that if you called Movie Phone at the time of its release, <clears throat> remember when that was a thing, it was listed as Untitled Mike Judge Project. You have selected Untitled Mike Judge Project. Goodbye. Brought to you by Carl's Jr. Fox gave zero fucks. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 76% with a viewer score surprisingly lower at 60%. And Metacritic is virtually the inverse, giving it a score of 66 with the user score coming in higher at 7.4. Strange? It is kind of weird out flip-flops, but I mean, it's funny because this is one of those times where it's a it's definitely got a cult following. But I don't think it has the same level of love that, I mean, Mall Rats that we talked about, whatever that was, in a pot or two ago. This is the type of movie that somebody says, hey, or they reference it, and you're like, what are you talking about? Oh, you've never seen it? It's not something everyone's talking about. It's something like, like my brother-in-law told me about this movie. And he's the only person I, I'd known that had seen it at the time. And then I watched it, and I enjoyed it. Uh, but it's certainly not as pervasive in the zeitgeist as something like Mallrats. I've, I've got to say, uh, full disclosure, prior to this pod, I had never seen this film. I was aware of it, and I was aware of President Camacho uh, just by general cultural osmosis, but that was it. Like, I, I never had somebody be like, oh, you got to watch this. It was more just like, oh, yeah, no, I know that's a thing. He and Brando are like the two things that sort of transcend the movie. That's fair. Because beyond that, I, and we, we'll get into it when we talk more about the thing. But Oh, absolutely. No, yeah. I, think, I think the good thing is, though, <clears throat> for all this movie's weaknesses, the two things you've just said that transcend the film are pretty much the best part of it and the key plot point. Yeah. So yes. that helps the movie because, and we'll, and we'll say this and, and it'll come up again, but for an 84-minute long movie, it does drag at times. Which is weird. 
But when it gets to President Camacho, played by Terry Crews, and it gets to the Brando plot point, things move much quicker, and it's much more of your traditional kind of like uh, Fairly Brothers-style comedy. In yeah. Be- yeah, in between that, you're like sort of waiting for these different sort of character actors to appear, like Justin Long appears as a doctor who's a total idiot. And you're like, oh, that was kind of funny. But other than that, you're just following uh, Luke Wilson as the straight man through this dystopian hellscape of idiotic people and it doesn't necessarily work until there's a little more structure to that here's my question on that do you think that's luke wilson's fault like like no. if he was more charismatic or he was able to like react better or something no i think that's not a bug but a feature of the character i think that's the point he is completely unexceptional and that's the defining aspect of his character. He's perfectly average. So everything he does is pretty much perfectly average. So Listen. it's a weird hill to die on for the movie because it does not help the movie, but it's technically true to the character. Mike Judge is a smart guy. I think that's part of the the joke is that he just kind of meanders through the movie making really boring decisions it doesn't help the movie, but again, it's true to the character. Anyway, let's get so, to the plot here because we're covering saying, a lot of the stuff. I'm just saying it would work better if that was just an informed feature. They tell okay. us he's the most average dude. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he's played by Luke Wilson, who is a conventionally very handsome man. So they could still have him make – I don't know. Like, it's just, well, he, he, he does. He does. But anyway, we'll, we'll get to it when we cover the plot here. Yeah. But I will say this. To your point, Captain Cash – and to call back to Mallrats, Terry Crews is definitely the Jason Lee of the movie. Oh, he's the Brody for sure. Yeah. And although Luke Wilson is much better than Jeremy London, he's definitely the Quint of the movie. That's, that's, fair. that's fair. That is fair. Yes. It's difficult because he really has almost nobody to play off of because they're not just stupid. They're extraordinarily stupid. Like, terminally and, stupid. And, yes. and his only other intellectual equal... Maya Rudolph's character is giving absolutely nothing to do. If you if you're disappointed in what they give Luke Wilson to do, they give Maya Rudolph's character Rita like less than zero. Yeah, it's terrible, and that's a total waste of her talents because we all know how funny she is. Well, before we get into the cast here, I will point out that you can find Idiocracy streaming on Hulu with subscription, or you can pick the DVD up on Target.com, brought to you by Carl's Jr. for just five dollars. It's uh, it's on HBO currently. So oh. you have to have the premium subscription with Hulu, but if you have HBO or HBO Max or whatever, it's on there. That's where I watched it last night. Yeah, I watched it on HBO Max too. That's a good service. There's tons of stuff. Not that I'm trying to plug for them, but hey, HBO Max, you want to wheel a cart of money toward the pod? Hmm. Hit us up at Pops and Flops. We're just like a pod subscription for people like me that still have cable. Um, I bought this movie from target for five dollars because i actually owned it previously but i loaned it to a buddy who moved to texas and he took it with him so i was pretty bummed i feel like that's the story of almost half of the dvds that <laughs> that exist yeah. out for idiocracy that's about par for the course uh so getting to the cast we've got luke Homefries wilson as joe bowers aka not sure and fun fact folks and i even checked my dvd case his name is misspelled on the back of the DVD sleeve. It was his that name, deliberate, you think? 
No, no, that just oh, no. <laughs> Fox gives zero fucks about this movie. His name in the credits is spelled B A U E R S Bowers, but on the back of the DVD, it's B O W E R S Bowers. Zero Fox given. <laughs> yep, no Fox given. And we've also got Maya loving you, Rudolph, as Rita, a prostitute and aspiring painter. And got... Loki, super hot in this. Yes, she's a very attractive human woman. Uh, and we've also got Dax, go away, I'm baiting Shepard as Frito Pendejo. Yes, that's right, his name is Fried Pubic Hair. Somehow, Dax Pat- Shepard, that doesn't uh, seem strange. No, that, that's unfair. No. He seems like a lovely human, too. And he, he's married yeah. to uh, Anna, so how bad can he possibly be? Yeah, he seems like a nice guy. Um, <laughs> and we've got uh, Terry Allen Cruz as Dwayne Elizondo, Mountain Dew, Herbert Camacho, five-time Ultimate SmackDown champion, porn superstar, and president of the United States. Basically the whole reason to watch this movie, if we're being honest with you. Yeah, the movie does not start until you get to President Camacho. And we get cameos from Andrew. Yes, there are three of us. Wilson as rehabilitation officer, Beef Supreme. I love Luke's other brother. I love every part about that sentence. The fact that there was a third Wilson brother that I had no idea about and that they chose the name for him as Beef Supreme. Generally a uh, side character in movies, uh, but he directs as well. He directed Whip It. The uh, roller derby movie with Ellen Page and uh, yes, Drew Barrymore is she in that? Drew Barrymore. That sounds right. Yeah. Did he direct Bottle Rocket? Uh, no, but he's he was, in, no, Bottle he was in Bottle Rocket. Wes Anderson, Anderson directed Bottle Rocket. Uh, Wes. Oh, that's right. I I did know that. Uh, and then we've got as I think Captain Cash or maybe it was you, Mister Wizard, alluded to earlier. We get Justin Long as Doctor Lexus, and we also get Tom Saden Church as the goddamn Lobster Johnson. And the CEO of Brondo. Forever and always, THC. Welcome back to the Johnson. We also have some cameos from frequent Mike Judge collaborators. We've got Stephen Bildotrieve Root as Judge Hank, the Hangman BMW. And we get Mike, Michael Bolton Herman as the Secretary of State. And rapper Scarface as a pimp named Upgrade. And folks, in case you've forgotten... Scarface is part of the group Ghetto Boys, who recorded the song Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster, which is on the soundtrack of Office Space. And that unforgettable fax copy machine destruction montage. So, moving on to our one-line descriptions, IMDB describes this movie as such. Private Joe Bowers, the definition of average American, is selected by the Pentagon to be the guinea pig for a top-secret hibernation program. Forgotten. He awakens five centuries in the future. He discovers a society that is so incredibly dumbed down that he is easily the most intelligent person alive. Mr. Wizard, how would you describe this movie in one sentence? And to be fair, IMDB did not go the one sentence route this time. They used like three sentences, so they cheated. Okay, well, huh, Idiocracy, a movie that was a lot more funny before we were living in it. Ouch, that kind of stings. That hits a little too close to home. I mean, the movie feels very familiar. Obviously, these people are wickedly stupid. But considering all that's going on around us, it feels way too familiar. And I think that's kind of been a a sort of like post-2016 theme with this movie. A lot of people now reference back to it, specifically to President Camacho and some of the aspects of his leadership and how he came to power 
and 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 you know they draw parallels to our current situation um and it's not a perfect allegory but there are things that are eerily predictive in this movie um so it's a little strange but we'll talk about when we get to the plot there's actually a couple of things that i actually think that are even even more poignant in the movie as related to the current political environment but we'll get to it captain cash what do you have for us this movie is meant to be a goddamn cautionary story, not a how-to. <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough, but I think we're already there. All right, so here's mine. Luke Wilson and Maya Rudolph star in Idiocracy, the R-rated live-action inspiration for Wally. Except <laughs> this one won't appear on Disney Plus ever, even though they own it. Probably oh God, not. That's right, they do. Who? <laughs> Well, uh, HBO has all the streaming rights to a lot of old Fox movies still, which is why they'll get New Mutants first. Not that huh. that's going to boost their <laughs> subscription rate or anything, but it, yeah, I was kind of surprised. I couldn't find the program on Disney Plus, so maybe I should check Hulu or HBO for it's that. Probably on HBO Max. Yeah. All right, so we've got our one-liners in. Let's move on to the plot here. Idiocracy opens in 2005 with a narrated scene explaining that without natural predators and the advances in modern medicine, humans have circumvented the process of natural selection. Survival of the fittest no longer applies. The best and the brightest no longer win the reproduction game. Now it is just about sheer numbers. We follow the family trees of an upper middle class yuppie couple who have failed to have children and that of a trailer park hillbilly family where Cleavon sires throngs of children this trend results in the dramatic decline of the country's average iq over the long term we are then introduced to joe bowers an unambitious army librarian who is selected to participate in a top secret army experiment because he is perfectly average in every way the army's plan is to use cryogenic technology to freeze their best soldiers and military leaders in times of peace so they can be thawed and used in times of war when they are needed the most which is the most dystopian thing you can possibly think of. Are you competent? We're going to freeze you. Though I guess that's what happened to Captain America. I was just going to say, that's very Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers was frozen on accident. That's fair. Demolition Man was frozen on purpose to administer justice in the future. Touche. <laughs> so we're going to thaw these soldiers in the future if they can go crack skulls in Portland. Wait. Wait, no. Okay, never mind. That's dark. <clears throat> we don't want that. John Spartan, We're... to be fair, would have definitely cracked skulls in Portland. He seemed like a shoot first, ask questions later type. And he was not pleased about Taco Bell. I, and the three shells. I just feel like, for the record, Demolition Man was just kind of a prequel for Judge Dredd, right? I mean, a little bit. And at the same sort time, of? Demolition Man is also sort of a prequel for this movie. Yeah, well, I just I just feel like, you know, he gets radicalized in Demolition Man and then Sly becomes Judge Dredd. Well, Demolition Man is the counterpoint to this, whereas civilized society has gone too far in Demolition Man and taken all the fun out of life. This movie is civilized society does not exist anymore, and all the fun is life is being able to eat, like, what I guess is nacho cheese while drinking out of a straw and taking a shit while watching porn. That's like everybody's existence. Yeah, I think it's butter. I think he's just like sucking on tubs of butter. Whatever, it looks disgusting. Also, you can go to 
a Starbucks and get a lap dance. So I get. <laughs> okay, I, I, I sort of fail to see the downside there. <laughs> Not only or Starbucks, H&R where block else? H and R Block, yeah. Pretty much every business is more on, Yeah, more on that later. Also, I don't know if you noticed this, but I'll bring it up when you come to it. There's there's a lot of there's a running theme of businesses going the porn route in this movie. Um, because hey guys, sex sells. So Joe is considered the perfect candidate for this uh, first test of the army technology because he's so average and he has no family to ask questions about his whereabouts. The army couldn't find a suitable female candidate in their ranks, so they negotiated with a pimp named Upgrade, with two Ds, and spelled with a G-R-A-Y, grade, uh, to secure a prostitute, Rita, for the experiment. The initial plan was to freeze Joe and Rita for one year. The plan goes awry when the lead scientist is arrested for prostitution, and he... He did the wrong... He fell in love, except his love was Upgrade, and... yeah. So apparently he'd fallen in love with the lifestyle after meeting Upgrade, and the experiment is forgotten about, and the Army lab is eventually replaced by a Ruckers restaurant. I, I gotta say, that one of the, my favorite gags of the movie, though, is him trying to explain pimp culture, and they're like, get on with the presentation, and then he goes through like 15 more slides of him hanging yeah, out. Yeah, I, I also, yeah. That, that to me set the bar, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be funny. Okay, so I got vibes of the brother from Napoleon Dynamite from that this whole scene. If you, if you need a tone for that humor, he's this kind of nebbish, nerdy white guy, but he's got all these photos of him hanging out with, with Scarface, you know, a pimp named Upgrade, and all of his hope. It's good times. But here's my gripe with that scene. They recycle through some of the same photos multiple times, the pad, the, the gag. They pad the gag in a movie that's only 84 minutes long and it that just doesn't make of, any sense hmm. you couldn't take like a couple of extra pictures that's like 35 minutes of time to get like four extra pictures yes yeah, so, think about it when they were shooting it they just didn't get enough yeah. yeah and and this is one of those things where again if the studio had cared more they somebody might have said something like oh hey wait a minute but they had like no supervision so it just yeah, yeah they left it in the movie Anyway, one year becomes 500. The Fuddruckers has devolved into a buttfuckers, and the great garbage avalanche of 2505 dislodges Joe and Rita's hibernation pods. Joe's pod crashes into Frito's living room. That's Dak Shepard. And Joe awakens disoriented, thinking it's only 2006. Frito is not happy with Joe for interrupting his watching of Ow My Balls and throws Joe out of the apartment. Joe, still disoriented, finds his way to a hospital looking for help. If I may. Yes. I would, just, I, I would like to note the prophetic nature of not having YouTube by this point, but still definitely calling an entire channel dedicated to people being hit in the junk. Which is a show. It's just that's that's a show. Ow my balls is award-winning television show. But there is a masturbation network, so they got Pornhub. They did not get YouTube, but they got Pornhub. It knew though that people would spend countless hours sitting on their couch watching people get hurt by racking yep. themselves or being kicked or whatever else. Yep. Because mindless Listen. entertainment is apparently infinitely consumable. Ball trauma is always funny. It just, it just is. I mean, The Simpsons has been running that gag for how long with the old guy that always gets hit with the football in the crotch? Hans Moleman. Yeah. I was saying boo-earns. 
and I'll point out here too that Dax, uh, Dax Shepard is sitting in like some sort of like gaming chair that also doubles as a toilet. Um, it's your dream chair. Let's face it. I, I yeah, I'm, I'm a little jealous. I feel like we're this, that's like the flying car in the Jetsons of this movie. Like, where is my crapper boy? recliner with like the surround sound speakers built into the headrest and the toilet underneath and it's funny because much like postal you definitely get like the toilet flush noise they make a gag of him like he was crapping as he was talking to joe and he stands up and the toilet flushes and uh just to we always talk about bad wigs his his is exceptionally bad in this movie i i don't even think that's a wig i think they just oh, like teased it, his hair up it must be a wig i mean I honestly don't know. Looking at it, I can't imagine they'd have spent the money on Dak Shepard having a wig. Yeah, well, I've got other issues with his performance, but we'll, we'll get I there. Have issues with his performance. He is the only one that does that dumb voice. Yeah, yeah you stole my thunder. Exactly. Thanks, Captain Cash. <sighs> anyway, so yeah, as I said, Joe makes it to a hospital, and you know he's still kind of disoriented, but he starts to realize things don't seem quite right. And he also discovers that the water fountains dispense a green sports drink. To be well, fair, that was super gross. The first, like, I, I watched it, like, ah, oh, oh wait, Brondo. Okay. What, what he even says, like, is, that, is this Gary? Um, yeah, and, and also I'm kind of glossing over this, but he gets up to the nurse, like the intake station, and she's got a fast food menu for like emergency room trauma in front of her yeah that's pretty funny she's like which button do i hit for you like are you shot in the head like or does your tummy hurt just always pick the grams she has to pick from she doesn't say a word she just kind of like chews her gum and like presses a button so while waiting for the doctor joe notices that all the dates read 2505 they're all reading 2505 he's like wait a minute something's not right here he looks out the window and sees a rotting urban hellscape. The doctor examining Joe freaks out when he discovers Joe is unscannable as he is missing a barcode tattoo on his wrist, and the doctor calls the police. My issue with the whole unscannable thing is people have social security numbers. If someone didn't have a social security number, you'd also go, hey, what the fuck is going on? Well, clearly like, that doesn't exist anymore. Like, yeah, but I mean, you wouldn't react the same way that Dr. Lexus does, like, shrieking and afraid. But at the same time, the movie treats this as some sort of, like, big deal. And it's like, no, no, we're already doing that with literally all of the citizens. Well, I think by this point, it's pretty clear that institutional norms and societal structure is all gone. Uh it, and the the scandal thing is like as close as this movie gets is to saying this is essentially 1984, just right. filled with morons. But it never really explores that aside from the cops' excessive use of force. Well, and also give it a little THX 1138 too, yeah. uh, with the dystopian like entertainment and television, like the like you know because in in THX you get the uh, the violence channel, you know, and. Uh, Joe was watching cops at his desk before he was frozen. So there's some, there's, there's some social satire there uh, uh, to be picked up on and authoritarianism and whatnot. So yeah, basically not following the, not so much the norms, I would say thunderous wizard, but like the rules, like there is the rules and whoa, Joe is outside of that. Like he can't be processed. He's, 
this is too weird, man. You're freaking me out. Although, again, it's they don't lay a lot of groundwork there. You have to kind of do a lot of that in your head to really justify Justin Long freaking out like he does. But anyway, uh, so Joe escapes from the hospital without paying his bill and is later arrested after being spotted by an automated Carl's Jr. kiosk. That is one of the most dystopian things in the entire movie, as you've already pointed out, Thunderous Wizard. That kiosk is terrifying. It, uh, because they they take control of children. <laughs> yeah, you're poor. You can't pay me. I'm going to gas you, and then I'm going to send people to collect your children who are now property of Carl's Jr. And it's not just, it doesn't just gas them. It's not tear gas. It sedates them. It's like, I'm going to drug you so this is okay. You won't feel so bad about being poor. Meanwhile, the government is going to take control of your children. Because this is not the government. It's an evil corporation. Perhaps it was like a soylent green scenario. I'm sorry. They're the same thing, Captain Cash. No, yeah. In this context, it's the oligarchy, blah, blah, blah. Still. So Joe is brought to court and finds Frito has been assigned as his public defender. Joe is quickly found guilty despite his best efforts to explain his situation. Joe is processed at the courthouse and given his tattoo. He struggles with the tattoo machine as it, <laughs> and accidentally receives the name Not Sure. And from this point forward, Joe is known as Not Sure. He also takes an intelligence test to determine his job placement at the jail. And I'm assuming this is the same test that Trump recently bragged about passing, but I'm not Person, 100% sure. Woman, woman man, man, camera, camera TV. TV. I can be president. Is this some kind of like Winter Soldier deal? Is that what that is? Homecoming? So what they do is they show you like a picture of an elephant. And they're like, what kind of animal is this? And you're like, elephant. So that's that's how you pass the test. Yeah. And uh, basically the question, we get one question from this test that we hear verbally given to Joe. Uh, it's like if you have one bucket with like two gallons of water in it, you got another bucket with three gallons of water in it. How many buckets do you have? And then he sees other guys on either side of him trying to just do the shapes into the shape. Hole. Yeah, yeah. They're covering up their tests, so he like peers over, like looking like, "What the hell is going on here?" <laughs> yeah, which you know, that's a little bit of character development there for Joe. We'll, we'll give him some credit. Um. So Joe is beginning to understand just how dumb everyone else is, and he easily escapes jail and returns to Frito's apartment. Joe hopes the technology for time travel has been discovered and asks Frito if there's a time machine. Frito says there is a time machine, and Joe convinces Frito to help him find it by promising him billions of dollars from a savings account he will open for him in the past. While looking for the compound interest time travel gambit. Eighth wonder of the world. Joe and Frito come across Rita and are quickly spotted by the cops. They ditch Frito's car, and that's when we get the wanton destruction of said vehicle and, and all the cops and the, the crowd celebrating and violently doing stuff and things. Um, and, uh, yeah, and the group escapes to a massive post-apocalyptic Costco, which is probably one of the best sight gags in the movie. The giant Costco just consuming the horizon. It's the best sight gag in the movie, but also the worst special effects in the movie. Particularly the scene with the red couches, where like Those are it not is great. painfully yeah. green screened. It's I, like yeah. Weather Channel green screened. Well, that like the Thunderdome at the end, uh, rehabilitation is, yeah, is really bad. bad. 
I, I'm going to drink for all the red couches. I mean, you have to have one sip for each couch, so I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see in ten years. Uh, the group becomes separated at Costco, and Joe is arrested again. This time, Joe was brought to the White House to meet with President Camacho. Joe's test results have made him the smartest man alive. President Camacho has appointed him to his cabinet as Secretary of the Interior and has tasked Joe with solving all of the country's problems. Food shortages, dust storms, economic issues, and mountains of garbage. This is also where we get the excellent State of the Union scene I parodied in the opening, President Camacho tells the nation he has the smartest man alive working on the nation's problems, and he'll have them solved in just one week. Joe meets with the rest of the cabinet to discuss the problems facing the nation and discovers that most of the country's water supply has been converted to Brondo, a sports drink. The Thirst Mutilator. This is, of course, after Brondo has bought the FDA and FCC. And frankly, folks, this hits way too close to home and might be the smartest satire in the movie, at least in my opinion. Anyway, upon learning Brondo is being used to water the crops, it's what plants crave. It's got electrolytes. Joe suggests switching the crops to water. But but Brondo has got what plants crave. Yeah. But... You mean like from the toilet? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take a break here because this might be my favorite line in the movie. So Joe suggests like they should use water on the crops. And one of the idiot cabinet members goes like, you mean like from the toilet? I ain't ever seen no plant grow from no toilet. And then Michael Bolton goes, yeah, that's right. Are you sure you're not the smartest man alive? And for the record, the kid that says that won a contest to be part of the presidential cabinet. And he's like 15. Yeah. In the movie, not like, not, not yeah. like really in the cast, but like that's his backstory in the movie. Yeah. Also, that actor was also in uh, Dude, Where's My Car? Low-key, uh, dumb Michael Bolton is my favorite part of the movie. The guy from Office Space. Yeah, yeah. He's the uh, uh, Secretary of State, I think. Yeah, I think so. He doesn't get a name. And I'll take, I'll, take, I'll take a moment here to point out that it took upon this last viewing of the movie to realize they have their cabinet positions printed on the sleeves of their shirts. Did you guys notice that? Yes, and yes, they also yeah. have giant, like, like medallions. Medallions, yeah. I, I, I mean, the medallions are obvious, but I always thought those were, like, motocross shirts or something, you know? Like, I, I couldn't tell what kind of, like, long sleeve uh, T-shirts, but they actually have their cabinet positions printed on them, you know? The, like, weird warm-up clothing that everybody wears, and it's not, like, good warm-up clothing. It's, like, the shiny warm-up clothing, and it's, like, every sort of outfit is that is terrible. It's just it's terrible. All it's all dazzle cloth with corporate logos all over it. Yeah. And I also like, you know, uh, talking about uh, dumb Michael Bolton. He also smokes the extra large cigarettes. <laughs> Those are also hilarious. Like, yeah, they're cigar sized, but they're cl they're wrapped in white paper to look like a cigarette. And I just, I don't like, were they meant to be weed or was it just meant to be a big dumb cigarette? Big dumb cigarette. I thought they were weed, but I guess no, I wasn't no. paying close enough attention. No, 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 no. Like, that's there's actually a joke you see it on the labeling on the package of the cigarettes it's like because you know the cigarette companies you know probably bribe bronda who owns the fda and all that yeah th like there's no regulations anymore so, so they just have uh, like supersized cigarettes <laughs> it's one of the, like, 
the weird things in the movie is that most of the idiot people who are like slaves to the system or to this like you know country that doesn't care about much of anything it's not like they're addicted to drugs or alcohol they just like eat butter from the tin the plastic tin and and drink the soda like, <laughs> they just don't know any better. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, it's not it's not malice. It's just they don't know any better. Yeah, the, the jumbo cigarettes though. That's I I, I enjoy that gag. Um, anyway, so Joe convinces the skeptical cabinet members that he can talk to plants, and that the plants told them they prefer water over Brondo. Uh, disaster strikes after the switch to water is made. It turns out Brondo is the nation's largest employer, <coughs> Walmart. <coughs> And changing to water caused their stock price to drop to zero, triggering automatic layoffs. Angry riots break out, and Joe's plan to use water on the crops is deemed unsuccessful after just one day. Joe was sentenced to one day of rehabilitation on the nationally televised Monday Night Rehabilitation Game Show, a Running Man-style demolition derby. Fan-favorite rehabilitation officer Beef Supreme is rumored to come out of retirement for the event. Joe manages to defeat the first two monster trucks with his wits and a hatchback with a dildo affixed to the hood. Beef Supreme overcomes his disastrous entrance into the arena. His monster truck collapsed the entrance and he was temporarily trapped under the rubble and proceeds to antagonize Joe with a grenade launcher and flamethrower. A distraught Rita watches from the White House where she notices a rose has bloomed in what I assume is the Rose Garden. She rushes to the arena hoping to share the news with everyone. On the way... She sees rows of crops sprouting the once barren fields. At the arena, she takes over the control room and bribes a cameraman to film the sprouting crops. Frito and the cameraman are distracted by a full-service Starbucks and engage in fisticuffs after receiving their lattes with extra foam. Luckily, though, they drop the camera in a manner that clearly shows the sprouting crops. Rita puts the crop shot up on the Jumbotron for all to see. President Camacho, after seeing the sprouting crops, rushes onto the arena floor to spare Joe's life. Cut to a celebration at the White House. President Camacho offers Joe the position of vice president. Joe initially rejects the offer, but changes his mind. He also learns that the time machine was actually just an amusement park-style ride. It's basically an idiocracy-themed, it's a small world ride. It's the Creation Museum, actually. Just well, dinosaurs in Nazi Germany. Dinosaurs is like, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. World history started after World War Two. Yeah, um, and Hitler's Charlie Chaplin. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, that I actually enjoyed that. I, I feel like that was also kind of clever. Like that was because they, they that whole time travel angle didn't really make a lot of sense, but they do put I, a bow on it. I will end. say this: that Joe's skepticism about how to properly handle time travel and make this all work there was more thought put into that monologue as he talks to uh frito frito boarding yes. the train than the writers gave for the entirety of avengers endgame and that's just a fact I, I, well you know i no, i i think so basically what what the thunderous wizard is alluding to here folks is when i said previously the group is separated and joe's arrested at costco one of the reasons that Joe at least got separated from Frito because Rita was in the bathroom uh, was that he had a moment of existential crisis where he's trying to understand the concept of time travel and trying to figure out like, wait, if I'm successful, I wouldn't be here right now. So 
that means I still need to go or yes. wait. No, I wouldn't be here. Hold on. He's trying to figure out time travel in his head. You know, which I wouldn't really bash Endgame for that. Cause and effect, kind of do, which doesn't they, exist in Endgame. So, well, but yes, they kind it, of explain it a different thought. way because you've they got deliberately got, explain it. I'm sorry, Marvel is much better. Oh, I, but, what about the interview where they said, "Yeah, we didn't think about it." You well, guys well, can't no, be mad I, about it. It was stupid. They chose yeah. to not have consequences because it was too messy to have consequences. No, there are consequences. There are consequences. There are absolutely 110% consequences. And they, they're there? only real cop. Yeah, it's uh, Captain America's old. That's it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so There's no consequences. But the movie that I think could benefit from the idiocracy speech is The Terminator. That's the parallel I would draw. But anyway. It's still more than um, that as well. But that, that is a pretty interesting scene. And basically, uh, it, it freezes joe and the door shuts on the train frito rides off and joe's arrested but anyway so <clears throat> after they go on the time machine ride we get a narrated epilogue that explains joe has become the next president and has fathered three children three of the smartest children in the world that is with his first lady rita and we also learn that frito has taken eight wives and fathered 32 of the world's dumbest children the cycle continues question mark doesn't really end on that hopeful note especially not when you consider the end credit scene no captain cash i'll agree with you this movie does not end on the highest note there and it's not the most satisfying ending but i think the message they're trying to give us is that as long as humanity has good leadership we'll be okay so if you've got the smart people in charge we can hope they make the best decisions for us it's not the most warm and fuzzy ending to a movie. I, I think that probably hurts it too, because it's pretty ambiguous. As far as we can tell, Frito's brood is still going to outnumber the smart kids. So has anything changed? I don't know. The real message of the movie though, is lead follower, get out of the way. And when Joe finally yeah. becomes the person who is responsible enough to lead, he understands it's his moral responsibility to do so. Now, I'm giving this movie far more credit than it actually deserves, but that is the central like theme. A man yeah. who finds himself in a position where suddenly he's the smartest person in the room where he was generally the dumbest now has to take accountability uh, for that intelligence and do something for the good of everybody else. Yeah, yeah I, I, I have a little bit of a problem with the message in this movie because it's kind of muddled. You know, They don't necessarily blame the less fortunate and those without power for their own problems, but you can definitely perceive it that way to a certain extent. And then you could also say that, Hey, you just need to listen to the people in charge. They know better. But Which, I, I also think this movie is saying though, but you need to see them demonstrate it. I just, so it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird message. It's like one of those things where it's like, it's a libertarian concept, but it's right on the edge where it's like, yeah, but if you take it the wrong way, you end up uh, you know, in Nazi Germany. If you think about this movie too much, it, it <laughs> so falls apart. Just libertarianism? Yeah, kind of. And that goes back to Mike Judge's best interview I could find was with Alex Jones. So Its entire notion of Darwinism and, and survival of the fittest is also... I mean, it's not exactly... Wow. Yes. yes. It's, it, it's sort of like, hey, if we just... If, if if Darwinism doesn't take care of it, if natural order doesn't take care of it, then eugenics would be great. You know what we should do? Just kill dumb people. 
But now, now again, that's the negative side of this movie, and I don't think that's the message here. That's and that's, that's the fair. point I want to make. I like, think that's the intended message. I think that's a message you could read into this. It's it's dangerously close. He wanted to make a movie that was saying things about society without the responsibility of having making a movie that's saying things about society and where it's headed. Yeah. This movie is more of a critique on capitalism than it I mean, is on social that. Darwinism. Yeah. But but they're dangerous concepts. But I think if you look at the end of the movie, the point is that leadership, the lead follower, get out of the way. The point is good people need to lead. If good people lead, good things will happen. That's the message I take away from this movie. That is... I would say that is accurate, but also very charitable. Yeah, the, the best possible interpretation. Yes. Well, sorry there, folks. We got a bit distracted, but there is a post-credit scene. Upgrade emerges from his hibernation pod and sets off to find Rita. Dun, dun, dun. So I guess it's kind of a Which spoiler. really teaser. sort of terrifying, because Rita has spent the entire film being like, Upgrade's going to come after me. And if you think about how a person like Upgrade who is at least normal intelligence in our time and lacking the moral qualities that both Joe and Rita possess, he will become a warlord in under a year. Well, yeah, because he's now easily, at the worst, the third smartest person on the planet. Exactly. Arguably the most smartest to have figured out where Rita is. Well, he didn't really figure out where she was. He just figured out when from the scientist that got arrested when she was yeah better yet okay well let's rate this movie from one to six beers gentlemen what are your ratings for me this is like a three to four beer movie there are jokes and it's funny but until you we talked about it, until you get to terry cruz as president camacho the movie does kind of drag like there are like three or four jokes that are pretty funny up to that point but you're well about halfway into the movie by the time that that happens so i feel like yeah it's it's three maybe a four beer movie just to kind of like keep it going and laugh at some of the jokes that just aren't that funny yeah three uh you could do four but the movie's very short so an hour and 24 minutes or whatever that's a lot of four beers a lot to squeeze in so i'd say three because it drags. You're right. Uh, it's not particularly funny for stretches without like the more uh, uh, without the more entertaining characters. Like the majority of the dumb people are not funny. That yeah, honestly. So because the joke is, look how dumb they are. But the problem is, you can't really be upset for them being dumb because they're born into this stupidity. Yeah. Well, I, and I think the movie does do a good job of not demonizing them. That's true. That's true, it does. But it also... They're victims. Yes, but it also doesn't absolve them either because they're still dumb. They're just going through the motions. I think that's yeah. the, the big takeaway for me is everybody's just going through the motions. Back to Dr. Alexis's freak out. Anything outside of the norm, and he panics. They're yeah, but I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. So maybe a little bit of a they live vibe, but yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. No, I give this movie three beers, partially because it does get entertaining in like the second half, so it's not that bad. But it is very short, so three beers is about right. That's about all you can squeeze in. Um, you know, it's funny at times, 
And I will say this, though. Some of the social satire is just top-notch. Like, there are parts of this movie that are very smart. Um, the whole movie's not smart, but there are pieces of it that really are, are excellent. So, yeah, I'll give it three beers. Well, we've covered the plot. We've covered some of our general impressions, and we've ranked the movie from one to six beers. I've got a few more questions for the Thunderous Wizard and Captain Cash. So let's take a break here and come back and review a little bit more about Idiocracy. We'll see you on the flip side, listeners. Brought to you by Carl's Jr. Welcome back, folks, to our 75th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by Carl's Jr. This is your host, Chumpzilla, and tonight I'm joined by the Thunderous Wizard and Captain Cash. We cover the plot and some of our impressions. Now let's get into a couple of questions I've got for my fellow hosts. Guys, first off, I ask this every time. Would you recommend watching this movie? Yes. I don't think uh-huh. it's as uh, timeless as Office Space, but it is certainly... I think relevant, even if it isn't handled as well as, as it certainly could be, because it is just a goofy comedy. I don't think it's trying to be say anything important, but it is saying things that are relevant to society. So maybe it could have been handled a little bit better, but it's just a dumb, cheap comedy. And it's got and it's quotable and it's is got it uh, Terry Crews. I think it is. Like there are parts that are quotable, yeah. But I really yeah. this doesn't have the the same level of snappiness that Office Space does. It it's not it's not what I can would consider a cult comedy. It's an R rated film that does basically nothing with the R rating, right? I just it, would I recommend it. I mean, I don't know. Do you got you have ninety minutes to kill and are somewhat curious about a historical artifact? from 2006 yeah go ahead have a couple beers while you do it but this is not required viewing by any stretch of the imagination for me i i I know enough about this movie from memes alone that i didn't need to see it well no i I disagree there i think if you like office space you need to see this movie because tonally they're not completely different and if you enjoyed office space you'll get a kick out of this is this movie essential captain cash uh, you're probably right. It's probably right on the fringe. But what I really like about it is that it's so subversive. It goes against corporate culture um, in a way that I think is difficult to do in a major studio film today. The fact that Fox sat on it for a year just because they were worried about hurting their TV ad revenue money, that alone makes it worth seeing. It scared the suits. Listen, I, I appreciate scaring the suits as much as the next dude who's not a suit. But at the same time, I, I don't feel like that alone is enough to be like, oh, watching this is a subversive act. Like, fuck capitalism, man. It, it, this movie is too muddled in its message to really be truly subversive. Hold, hold on. I will say this. It's not just a, a gratuitous fuck you to capitalism. It is a sharp satire of capitalism they do some funny things poking fun at capitalism like I, that's the thing i got about this this movie does a lot of good stuff and so, i think i think that is better than the actual script the stuff they do to the corporations i think is actually funnier and smarter than some of the stuff in the movie but anyway anyway so no my only challenge with that is they deliberately choose the most lowbrow dumbest possible corporations to do that with 
they satirize what is basically Mountain Dew or Gatorade. They talk about Hardee's and Carl's Jr. So it's it's all the most lowbrow, the easiest possible targets you could take shot at. That's that's where I think this movie failed. Like either it needed to like go full on like here's what's really wrong with society. And it's and it's not the dumb people; it's the system that produces the dumb people, and they try to do that, but again, it uh, to me it's a, it's a muddled message at best. Again, as I've referenced, if you think about this movie too hard, it totally falls apart. If you look at it as just being a dumb comedy that'll make you laugh a few times, and also potentially like horrific look into the future, yeah. See, it's fine. That's where I'm stopping. That's where I'm stopping you right there. If it's a dumb movie you want to watch a few times, fine. But then you can't also preface it with, oh, and it's a look at the future, because no, it's fucking not. It, wanna, it wants to pretend like it has that ability, but it doesn't. Yeah, but we're two-thirds of the way there. And I'll just quote the Rolling Stones review of the movie. They said it was the smartest, stupid movie they'd ever seen. So I think that's an apt description. I just want to hit on something you mentioned earlier, Captain Cash. What was going on with Dak Shepard's vocal performance in this movie? No one else in the movie talks like him. It's not particularly funny. I, it was, it was, it he's, was an acting choice. He's Some, shockingly unfunny for a guy who's funny in this movie. Yeah, made the decision to like, like I don't know if it's like it's a down in the mouth, like I'm gonna talk like this all the time. I love money. Yeah, I, I just feel like, again, if the studio had been more involved, they might have been like, hey, uh, you know, Mike, what's that guy doing? Make this him stop that. Working. Yeah, make him do something different. They weren't paying attention. Um, and I think the biggest, though, hands down, biggest sin in this movie is that I don't think I've ever said this about a movie this short before. It drags. How does a movie that's only 84 minutes long bog down? And there are deleted scenes. There was more stuff that they tried to work into. It's like, and they padded some scenes too. I just don't get it. I will say this. If I had one solution to fix that problem, punch up the script and the dialogue for my Rudolph. Give Rita something to do. This movie is literally a long episode of Game of Thrones. And there are parts where you're just like waiting for something to happen. And in a comedy, sometimes that's fine. Like, Broken Lizard did a great job of Super Troopers where it, there's a lot of, like, goofy sort of improv vignettes of, like, hey, here's a fucking funny thing. What if we said meow a bunch? But here... But it, does, it doesn't drag, though. It's very punchy. No, it, uh, yeah. exactly right. It doesn't drag. Those little vignettes are completely funny. And if every one of the vignettes where he interacts with a dumb person, he when Joe interacts with a dumb person was legitimately funny, this movie would have been fine, but it's just not because it's the same joke over and over again. Look how dumb these people are. I I think if I could define that, it would be lazy world building. They waste a lot of time on lazy world building in the first third of the movie. Well, one one of the interesting aspects of their world building is that they demonize intelligence so when Joe shows up in the future, he's uh, they they call him all kinds of terrible things that really aren't uh, mostly PC. the F word. Yeah, uh, but it's because he's smart. Like it's bad to talk like that. 
Yeah, so this movie gives you an N-bomb. It gives you several homophobic slurs and also several hard R, hard R uh, you know, slurs as well. Uh, it's got some 90 sensibilities which don't really fit into a mid-aughts movie. And yeah, again, it takes out even four. You're kind of like, eh. and aside from that, it does nothing else with that R rating. Just some bad, bad language. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, weird hyper violence or weird like they they constantly sexualize everything in this film. But this is the least sexy film ever. And I don't like, and I don't know that it's to its detriment, but at least I'd understand. It's hard to be sexy when you live in Dino Hat in the year 2505. You fucking tell that to President Koopa. That hairstyle? Mwah. But no, like, like, I'd understand if there was some sort of titillating scene or you're like, oh man, that's super gross and violent and they couldn't do that in a beach. Like, there's nothing that happens in this film that couldn't have been achieved at a PG-13 rating. Other than the language. And when that happens, you kind of got to look around and go, why? To your point, Captain Cash, you get way more violence and nudity in Clash of the Titans, 1981's Clash of the Titans, than you do in this movie. And yet, this got an R. Uh, I mean, the 80s were a weird time. Dragonheart, or wait, no, not Dragonheart. It was Dragon Slayer has boobs in it, and it's a PG. Fuck, Jaws is a PG. It doesn't matter. But again, it could have been PG-13. It, it still would have fit. But anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, and I'll ask my final question. Did this movie deserve to flop? I'll answer first because I'm selfish. No. Had this movie been given a wide release, it would have definitely made its money back and then some. I think if Fox also, just for the last time, I'll say it again, had treated this like a real movie, it probably would have improved the final product. Because the studio was pretty much hands off, and there are no stories of like a troubled production here. Mike Judge pretty much had no supervision, <laughs> and the only feedback that he got was that Fox Legal was nervous about turning Starbucks into a dirty massage parlor. So their recommendation was just to give multiple companies the same treatment as to make it harder for any single company to sue them for it. And Mike Judge is like, sweet. We could do that, no problem. That is the least lawyery opinion I've ever heard. That's amazing. You know, yeah. listen, listen, this libel is pretty intense. You know what we got to do? Spread the Spread libel it around. to just everybody. Because <laughs> then it's obviously satire and they're covered. So this that's movie uh, would have easily made its money back, and all it would have taken is from the mind of Mike Judge, who brought you office space. Because it was five years later, and Office Space was legitimately a cult hit by then. Yeah. It would have made $4 million. So, uh, so I guess that's the question. Did it deserve to flop? No. To, your, to both of your points. Just the bare minimum of marketing. And this thing at least makes its money back, and maybe even a little bit more. Uh, but it, it would have topped out at $10 million in 2006. And, was, and, was it going to be a big hit? No, absolutely not. And to your point, Captain Cash, they did cut trailers for this movie, but they never released them. <laughs> there were trailers. They were never released. Which just, I mean, I get how, but at the same time, it's it's really kind of, I don't know, not it's not funny, like, ha-ha funny, but it's just like, I don't, okay, that's a way to do that, I guess. 
contractually obligated contractual obligation you know what i love most about a passion project when i'm forced to do it by law yeah and i guess my final question about idiocracy guys what's your favorite joke or gag in the movie again i'll go first here because i'm selfish but for me i don't think i might get some agreements here it's the brando scene at the white house like the Brando plot point is the crux of the movie, and it's also the smartest piece of satire in the film with the whole, like, FDA, FCC angle. And, uh, yeah, to me, that is just hilarious, and it's the most quotable part of the movie. I will agree that it is the most quotable part of the film, if only because there are literal T-shirts that are worn by my co-hosts right now as we're recording this that utilize lines from that scene. But for me, the funniest gag in this whole thing is still the extended sequence where the army guy falls in love with the life of a pimp a little bit too much. And it's the multiple clicks through the slides that, like, when that started off, I'm like, okay, if this is the level of joke density that's going to happen, okay, I'm here for it. But, like, there was those jokes, and then I didn't laugh again until we got to the scene where they're asked to switch around the probes where it's like, this one goes in your mouth. This one goes in your ear. This one goes in your butt. And then they like, Oh wait, I got that wrong. And, but like, there's a whole 10 to 15 minutes in your comedy film where I didn't go. (laughs) That's a problem. It's Brando or anything with the cabinet really is my favorite parts of the movie, but it's gotta be Brando. It's got it. What, that, the fact that he has to convince them that he can talk to plants and that the plants requested the water, that's how, like, their inability to process the simplest of information. And they keep doing that, but it's what plants crave. Like, not understanding that perhaps that is just a line that a marketing executive fed you to make you believe that the plants wanted Brondo because Gatorade's actually fucking terrible for them. Well, yeah, I mean, they... they, they... And for the record, salting the earth, salting the earth. Yeah. Which Joe doesn't even understand, but he just knows that water is better than Gatorade. Probably. Um, And and the close second would be the state of the union address from president Camacho because Terry Crews steals the show. I honestly, this is Terry Crews's movie. We've said it earlier, but the, the mall rats comparison is completely apt. Where, hey, you've got your straight man, and we're basically following him. But the only thing everybody actually cares about is this other guy, Brody, who is over the top and insane, but very, very funny. This is the movie that made Terry Crews' career. Hollywood saw this, and they were like, that guy needs to be more stuff. And I mean... And good, because he's great in a lot of things. He's a, he, he's, he's a very entertaining actor. His comedy chops are top-notch. I think that's the thing. You saw this hulking behemoth could do comedy. I'm like, oh, that, that guy can be funny. Excellent. Honestly, for me, this, this is the same thing that happened with Hemsworth in the Ghostbusters movie. Where they're like, wait a minute, Thor can be funny? Yeah, let's do some more of that. Nobody saw that movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, I did. It's it's bad. I definitely it's bad. saw it. I I I I'm a feminist and that movie's bad. Uh, I saw it too. And it's not it's not good. 
It's not good. I laughed a couple times, but Paul Feig has done far better movies with those talented ladies. Right. The Ghostbusters like movie. Yeah. So yeah. just by that comparison point, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not good. Yeah, none of stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right, listeners, we need to grab another Brondo and or Lagheitis Hop Stupid before we get to the Ow My Balls Trivia Challenge brought to you by Carl's Jr. So we'll see you on the flip side. Why do you keep saying brought to you by Carl's Jr.? Because they pay me every time I say it. It's a good way to make money. Alright, loyal listeners, welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by Carl's Jr. We have arrived at the competitive portion of our Idiocracy pod. It's time for the Ow My Balls Trivia Challenge, also brought to you by Carl's Jr. So, standard format, fellas. Five questions, multiple choice, and tonight you'll be playing for some Brondo-themed swag. They're stickers. I'm not going to lie, they're stickers. And the chime-in phrase tonight is going to be, it's got electrolytes. Are can you I, ready? Can I chime in with, I like money? I'll accept it. Excellent. All right, let's do this, because I like Baiting. That's all Captain Cash is going to say. Baiting. And then Baiting. he won't know if he wants to answer the question or if he wants you to stop talking to him. Or keep well, well, talking to him. Stop talking. What I'd like yeah. you to do is look directly into camera so it feels like you're making eye contact. Okay, so the first question in the Ow My Balls trivia challenge is, which of these Mike Judge animated characters appears in Cleavon's family tree? This is in the opening scene. Is it A, Boomhauer? Is it B, Beavis? Is it C, Luann Platter? Is it D, Hank Hill? Or E, Butthead? I like money. Captain Cash. Uh, they're all blonde, so I think... Butthead's a brunette. Beavis? Yes. Butthead is a brunette. No, no, no. I bet, I mean, all oh. of the so, so is Hank Hill. Hank Hill's a brunette, too. That's uh, true. But you said Beavis. I, I heard I heard Beavis from yeah. Captain Cash. Cleavon and his ilk generally tend to be blonde-ish that later turn to brown. So there was also, there was, there, there was also a goat in there. And Carl Rumsfeld. <laughs> really? Yeah. And and uh, Condoleezza Rice. Yeah. But those were an animated characters, so they're not on the list. So hold on, I've gotten completely sidetracked here, listeners. I apologize. I'm going to go back. You have chimed in, Captain Cash. The question is, Beavis. which of these Beavis. animated characters? You're going with Beavis. Beavis. Final answer. Beavis. Final answer. Beavis is incorrect. Son of a bitch. Thunderous Wizard, would you like to steal, and would you like me to repeat the remaining answers? I guess I'll just say Boomhauer, but I thought he was supposed to be secretly smart, so. But okay, I don't watch you King are, of the Hill, so. You should. That's an excellent show. You are both wrong. It was Hank Hill. Bobby Hill also appeared, for the record. Wow. But huh. Hank Hill isn't necessarily an idiot either, is he? No. But he's a simpleton. Uh, anyway, moving on. We are at goose eggs, folks. It is zero to zero. We are reaching question number two in the Ow! My Balls Trivia Challenge. In the early drafts of the script, there was a different name for the Brondo sports drink. What was it? Was it A, Power Thirst? B, Chug Surge? C, Rancho? D, Caffeine Annihilation? 
or E, Mondo Sex Juice? Out of my balls? Captain Cash. I'm going to say Rancho because I, I also got like a really weird Spanish thing going through this movie that isn't necessarily positive that I didn't care for. You are correct, sir. Rancho was the original name for Brondo in early drafts of the script. Straight up, I did, did not know that I was just guessing. But by the fact that they named Dak Shepard Frito Pendejo, that's one of those recurring themes throughout this film where I'm like, eh, I don't yeah, my judge is from Texas. So, yeah, okay. It's a little uncomfortable. So, after question number two, Captain Cash has the lead one to zero. Thunderous Wizard, don't fret. There is plenty of time left. That wasn't my guess, so. Fair enough. Yeah. That brings us to question number three. Which of the following was one of Joe's charges flashed on the screen during his arrest at Costco? Was it A, talking like a pussy? B, robbing a hospital? C, fucking up lots of shit? Or D, being unscannable? How my balls. Captain Cash. Robbing a hospital? That is incorrect. Damn. Thunderous wizard, can you steal? Fucking up lots of shit. That is correct. We are tied one-to-one, folks. I, uh, he, he wasn't unscannable anymore at that point, so that's how you know that's not one of them. And then if it was talking like anything, they would have used the F word, because that's what they refer to him as frequently. Is this, this film is far more homophobic then it is misogynistic, but only barely. Sort of. Okay, well, this is getting exciting. We're now tied one-to-one, heading into question number four. Which of these brands did not give Fox clearance to use their name in the film? Was it A, Walmart? Was it B, Crocs? Was it C, H&R Block? Or was it D, FedEx? I like money. Thunderous Wizard. Walmart. That is correct. Walmart was the first choice for the Costco scene, but Walmart said, no, thank you. But Costco was cool with it? Yep. And many of the characters in the movie can be seen wearing Crocs. I mean, There's no such thing as bad publicity. Isn't yeah. Costco just Walmart, but like a store? Oh, wait, that's Sam's Club. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Costco's yeah. like the target of Sam's Clubs. His orange Crocs. All I can think about when people wear Crocs is Brett Favre sending DPs to the locker room reporter for the Jets. Oh, yeah. And she was one of the Florida State cowboy bikini girls. Yeah. Weird. Weird. This Small is world. sports ball talk, Captain Cash. You have no idea yeah. what happened. What happened? No. No. Brett Favre was in something about Mary. Okay, so you have the lead, Thunderous Wizard. It is two to one. We're heading into question number five. Oh, this is getting a little dicey, folks. We could have a tie here. I'm a little nervous. I don't have a bonus question. So let's see how this pans out. This is high drama. Question number five. What was the name of the ED medication seen advertised in Dr. Lexus's office? Damn it. Was it A, Mondo Boner? B, Black Dicks, C, Max Donger, or D, Erectus Maximus, or E, Poon Apocalypse. It's got electrolytes. Don't let the editing fool you, folks. That goes to the Thunderous Wizard. Uh, 
Erectus Maximus. Ooh, that is incorrect. I'm sorry. Captain Cash, can you oh, steal no. for the tie? Absolutely gonna be my answer. I'll uh, give you I'll give you I'll give you hey I, I would love to repeat these answers. I figured Captain Cash would say Max Donger since that was his nickname throughout college. So because I made up most of these, I would love to repeat them again. Please do. Is it Donger. A Mondo Boner? B Black Dicks. C Max Donger or E Poon Apocalypse. I feel like the correct possible answers are either A or E, because B is kind of racist, and C... Eh? 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 Yeah, it's kind of racist. How, how, how does Frito Pandeo work out for you? You know, listen, there's there's definitely an undercurrent of racism. It's not, it's not <laughs> just right on the tin, but it's definitely here for it. I, I'm gonna say A. Yeah, it's black dicks. Really? Yeah. Man. I was hoping <laughs> it was Poon Apocalypse. And... Yeah, that, <laughs> that, was that, was... My, that was personally my favorite coming up with it. Poon like, Apocalypse. These are awful. These are all yeah, terrible. Max Donger. Max Donger didn't feel right. Oh, yeah, no, it did. It felt it totally way too felt much right. like. Uh, 16 candles, long duck dong. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, well, I had, I I had thought that win. question. Well, Jeez. folks, in case you're keeping score at home, the Thunderous Wizard has won two to one. So congratulations. As soon as my Brondo stickers show up, they are headed your way. So congratulations, and thanks for playing tonight. Uh, Captain Cash, I believe you now have to compete in Monday Night Rehabilitation. Best of luck. I'm going to drive this shit out of just whatever beat-up car you strap a four-foot-long dildo to. It's going to be great. Yeah, well, congratulations, Sunders Wizard. You have won the first inaugural match of Ow My Balls Trivia Challenge. The spoils of war go to you. So I think that takes us to our recommendations. Uh, I'll start off again because I'm selfish. My recommendation, folks, check out a great horror cartoon from the 80s. Uh, it is The Inhumanoids. It aired from like 85 to 86. I remember watching this as a kid, and I definitely remember the toys. Uh, it is basically a straight-up Lovecraftian horror cartoon marketed towards the Saturday morning cartoon crowd. If it I may, Inhumanoids, Inhumanoids. inhumanoids. Yeah. The uh, power that lies within. Yeah. Uh, it is, yeah, it is, it's dark. It's, it's a horror cartoon. It's really weird. I, I it's one of those things like you could not get this today. They and would for not. What it's worth, all of the heroes in the thing are like jockey super scientists. So it's like, this guy is the quarterback of the football team and also a doctorate in microbiology. Yeah, it, it, it's really weird because it's not stupid and the people in it aren't stupid. It's it's kind of like the opposite of G.I. Joe. It, 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 it's all the characters are intelligent. It's got a pretty narrative-driven plot. I think it runs like 13 episodes. It's basically like one season. Um, 
it's almost impossible to get it on DVD, but you can find it on dailymotion.com, mm. which is of questionable sources, but you know, it's only the most reputable of sources do we provide you. Yeah, but you know, Ian, it's it's a, a legitimately terrifying, dark, macabre children's cartoon with Lovecraftian themes. It's great. I enjoyed it as a kid. The toys were excellent. There were three main monsters, and they were like 14 inches tall. Those things kicked ass. You had Metlar, Tendril, and Decompose. And Listen, all I know is Tendril. Wait, no, I always fuck this up. Tendril's you know, Cthulhu. Tendril just reminded me of giant size man thing. Yes. Yeah. Cthulhu. Yeah. Yeah. Giant. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, and then decomposed was like this weird skeleton dinosaur thing that was exposed rib cage, uh, voiced by, uh, Chris Lotta. Yeah. Also, uh, also known as Starscream and or Cobra commander. Yeah. So, and, and this was a Marvel Hasbro Sunbow production. So it was done by the same animators that did Transformers, you know, Transformers, the same animators that GI Joe and gem and the holograms. It's just a weird artifact of the 80s. And, uh, yeah, I said, there, there's almost no way to watch it without going to Daily Motion. But check it out because it is fantastic. It's just a weird uh, quarantine sidetrack. Take it. Enjoy it. And I wish I still had my giant Metlar action figure. I love that thing as a kid. He had many a battle with Iron Man and Superman back in the day. Inhumanoids. Inhuman. So... Kind of riffing off the whole Lovecraftian thing, especially as things that we enjoyed as children, my recommendation this week is going to be The Immortal Hulk. It's a comic that's been going on for basically the last two years, and it takes the Hulk comics, uh, which have historically been mostly superhero-y, and turns them into straight fucking horror comics. Like, it is body horror. It is terrifying to become the Hulk. It... The Hulk can never die. Like, I, I'm not doing a great job of selling it, but they've collected it into three or four paperbacks where spend 40 bucks and just read the first, you know, 24 issues of this th thing. It's really good, really weird, and pull stuff from deep in the Hulk's history to make this truly, truly great horror comic as we bounce into October. I think that's fair. Okay, this will be like connected by the loosest of strands. Uh, but in Idiocracy, obviously, Joe finds himself in a strange place he has no idea how to escape from. My recommendation is Palm Springs, starting Andy Samberg, where he is stuck in the same day in Palm Springs at his girlfriend's best friend's wedding, and the day keeps repeating. It's very obviously Groundhog Day, but with a slightly different bent to it. It is very, very funny. It is free on Hulu. I strongly recommend you watch it. You will be endlessly entertained by it. Sold. Well, Captain Cash and Thunderous Wizard, thank you so much for your recommendations. That brings us to the end of our pod tonight, the 75th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by RevengeOfTheFans.com and Carl's Jr. And, hey, it's been fun talking about Idiocracy, but Thunderous Wizard, what can the listener look forward to on our next pod? Okay, next pod. Uh, and again, you can check me out on another episode of the Double Turn Podcast where we reviewed AEW's all-out pay-per-view. I filled in for Ross, the real boss, who's having technical difficulties. And next week, those Double Turn guys are joining us for 2005, I believe, The Dukes of Hazard, starring Johnny Knoxville and Sean William Scott. 
So in the meantime, you can check us out on social, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Hops and BL Flops. You can find myself at WriterTLK. You can find Captain Cash at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H. And Chumzilla at Chumzilla8 on Twitter. Go away, I'm baiting. And that is it. <laughs>